listen to Two Married Lesbians discuss an LGBTQ plus book each month that highlights the queer human condition as they use connection and humor to relate the issues to us as a queer community. She's Anna. And she's Miranda. I am. And we're two married lesbians. We are. And we're all queer here. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, Anna. Thank you. Welcome back. Welcome back, Miranda. Thank you. Didn't want to be left out in the cold on that. So we are continuing our theme in September of banned books and mm. censorship. Mm. Um, getting us fired up. Getting us fired up. This book um, is called Answers in the Pages. Publishers Weekly suggests this title for ages 8 to 12, but it's our belief that parents have the final say on what reading material is best suited for their children. Author David Leventhal is gay and amazing. I say this uh, as a little note from myself. Um, <laughs> he's had two books in particular, Boy Meets Boy in 2003 and Two Boys Kissing 2013 Challenge and Band. So the difference there is a book in question um, for whether language, sexual content, sexuality, whatever, has there's usually a formal challenge process and it's like a, a forum for reconsideration. So they submit that and then they go through a panel or a committee to decide if they should in fact ban it or they can um, reassign it. If it's a middle school book, they would put it in high school. If it's um, an elementary book, they'd say, okay, we'll push it toward middle school. So they don't have to totally get rid of the book entirely. Um, They can just kind of reclassify it per age group. But um, So it's a little bit like kind of perhaps what some people see in public libraries where librarians are trying to keep a book from being outward, like completely out and out banned, they just reclassify it from like young adult to adult, that sort of thing? No, that's not at all. Because young adult books are appropriate for young adult readers and need to be shelved in the young adult section. He's gone on the record as saying that he wrote Boy, Boy Meets Boy as a very tame love story so that it specifically would not be challenged. Right. But I think sometimes, especially with Two Boys Kissing, they see the title of the book and maybe the picture, which is Two Boys Kissing, and um, freak out, and they want the book gone. And that is not a basis for reconsideration. Mm-hmm. Um, that is... In fact, don't judge a book by its cover. Well, yeah, or title. <laughs> but that is, in fact, bigotry at its finest. You know, you don't want kids to see PDA from from uh, that. But that that's a really great book I want to do on the podcast eventually. It's got several points of view. Well, I now that makes me... Um... I want to go through and uh, stack up like all the covers of all the uh, hetero love story books of that age range. See how many have a hetero couple kissing on the cover. Oh yeah, that's true. You know, hmm, comparison. There's a lot of like shorts or just from like being a kid and reading romance, you know, throughout my life. Uh, a lot of short skirts, a lot of lot of hands around waists, very racy stuff. It's racy, Kissing huh? on necks. It, these are on the cover, guys. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. It's a miracle I didn't, you know, jump to um, Harlequin Romances when I was in college. So I somehow I managed not to use, you know, see that gateway drug. Is it because you were gay? I don't know. Okay. It could be. Okay. So being gay saved you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. From hearty romances. But I have a friend who <laughs> reads them and loves them and just... Like, she'll read them out in public at the beach. I'm like, aren't you embarrassed? 
And uh, you, you should be, you, even if it's, you know, what some might consider smut, you shouldn't be embarrassed if it brings of your you happiness. Material. It's a what? I said if it brings you happiness. It brings you happiness and it's no harm to other people. There you go. Out there. there you go. Um, you know, and who cares if someone's judging what you're reading? There's a couple like lesbian-ish, they're not really Harley Quinn romances, but they're like, you know, 17, 1800. We've enjoyed those. Period. Yeah, like, and there's a lot of history. Of course, there's history in that book, but those books. But, um, yeah, it's just kind of nice to reimagine, like, how you could be gay or queer back in those days. Mm. So I've enjoyed I, it. I do like those. I just, I also feel like lesbian or, or women-loving women love, sto- love stories mm. typically get shoehorned into these period pieces way more than any other group. Yeah, but this is not like they're both married and they secretly are in love. This is like one's a widow, the other one's, you know, a young an astronomer. Artist. An astronomer, that one was good. That Olivia Wade. God love her. Okay. So anyway, let's <laughs> let's uh, not get uh, too off topic. Let's focus on the book in question. So let's not talk about astronomers, Anna. I know. Well this book is also for a younger audience, so we have to it kind is. of think about that. Um especially parents too, like um, you know, reading this as an adult, you know, coming at it from a librarian perspective, mm. an educator perspective, mm. and a parent perspective, it mm. was a, it was a lot of things to think about without thinking like, no, we never ban books. Like every so often, something could get misclassified. Mm. You know, like you wouldn't want. Okay, so here's an example. There is a book called Shades of Grey. Okay. By. R- R- Ruta Sepetis. This is a fantastic ho- Holocaust novel. Okay. Um, appropriate for middle grade. Um, if someone submits an order and they accidentally order 50 shades of gray, obviously you oh, would no. want that in a middle school library. No, you, you would not. And I highly doubt that wouldn't get caught because there's a processing center or the librarian processes it and then they scan them in. And that's and then, a lot of yeah. copies of 50 shades of gray to... Yeah, but if it's one cover laminate. and it's like... Um, because I know, like, sometimes they do, like, specialty covers, and you, and you totally missed it, or mm. you had someone helping you, or you were sick that day, and it got mm-hmm. shelved. Mm-hmm. Like, I could see maybe where that happens, but I, like I said, that would be really rare. Yeah. Um, it, but titles can be tricky, and, and being, yeah. But the ordering process is really put in place to make sure that everything is specific. And I think that would get flagged on the orderer's um, side and say, hey, yes. we saw you ordered a bunch of middle grade YA books. Did you want um, Fifty Shades cop? of Grey? Did you want Fifty Shades of Grey? Because I noticed you recently marked Shades of Grey as lost in your library. Like, oh, yeah, I wanted that one. So, so there's specific... Um, sources that librarians would order books through oh yeah certain vendors you go through a lot of times the reviews are either like um on the specific sites or websites that we have logins to um so we kind of track which ones we've looked at so it's not your amazon order getting mixed up it is through a very specific process go and some have it they put all the like the links to the reviews and you you should read all the reviews which takes a lot of time Mm -hmm. Um, but you can also submit like your interest list and you only want it for this grade level and then they'll get you a list back. So that'll kind of shorten some of your search time. Gotcha. <clears throat> but I, uh, I like to attend a lot of webinars, um, 
and uh, and author talks to, to see if a book is a good fit, just because mm-hmm. they offer them throughout the year, and it's a good way to get your, you know, um, continuing education credits, and it's also just fun to listen to people talk about books. And then you have more information, like, oh, I heard this author talk about this book. Yeah. Specifically, so... Yeah, that right. can that can have a lasting impact. It can also translate to, oh, cool. Now I know this author would be a great fit for an author visit for the absolutely. And I've had that happen. They recommended somebody else that books just came out. And like I think they're doing um, author visits throughout blah blah. blah. And I was like, I'm writing this down. <laughs> so yeah, no, it's just a great way to like kind of network with people too. Perfect. Well, so, you want to get I want to get into this book. Um, censorship is very near and dear to my heart. Um, obviously preventing it. Fighting censorship. Fighting censorship. <laughs> um, and I, I love that it starts, it opens with this sentence. The sentence in question was, at that moment, Rick knew just how deeply he loved Oliver. And Oliver knew just how deeply he loved Rick. And the understanding of this moment would lead them to much of the happiness and adventure that came next. I love it. It's a like, long sentence. It works. It's, it's grammatically a, correct. Yeah, correct. They, they mentioned that in the... In the, in the <laughs> they weren't statement. questioning punctuation or grammar or syntax. Because <laughs> um, they're reading it in fifth grade. If a fifth grade is worried about a comma placement, good for him. Like, just hey, really proud of the Above that detail. reader level. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's really interesting because at no point does it explicitly state that it was a romantic love or that they were sexually attracted to each other. Like... We need to, yes, I love gay stuff. That I love it. I love queer media. But also, in addition to that, slash separate from that, however you like it, um, we need to normalize men, loving men, men showing affection, men being vulnerable because, newsflash, men have feelings. And when... Our patriarchal structure shuts down boys that are showing their feelings and being expressive and talking about things, then all it does is lead to, you know, this buildup. And and points to anger really being the only emotion they can show. Absolutely. And that's, that's not fair and that's not healthy and that's not safe. And um, so I... I fully, my little queer heart is like, this is a queer text. But also, you can read it and not jump to that conclusion. And that's also valid. And I I think it's really important that men showing emotion is celebrated and safe and normal. I think about it in a sense of like extreme, extreme friendship, like best mm-hmm. friends. And some people have yeah. like a close group, a close small group of friends, which I did as a kid. And I didn't tell my best friend I loved her, like, as a friend, till I was an adult. And we had, um, each of us had um, lost one of our parents. And we realized how short life was. So yeah. when we got off the phone or when we, you know, hung out, we said bye, we hugged each other, said I love you. Because it, it, was, it was just kind of ingrained in me as a kid, like you say, I love you to romantic love and to family. Because obviously you're not in love with your sister, you know. But you say it, or your grandma. But you say it, whoa. Whoa. You say it to. That's a different thing. You say it to family only and people you love that you are in love with. Mm-hmm. And so even now with close friends, I'm like, hey, I just wanted you to let her, Like, I love you and I've missed you. 
Yeah. Because I think people need to hear that outside of who they're dating mm-hmm. and outside of their family. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so anyway, can... I would just encourage people to like, if you love someone, tell them. Celebrate platonic love mm-hmm. and those close friendships. Absolutely. Now, I want to argue as a, as a, you know, uh, a nitpicky um, analyzer of text that it says, you know, they knew how deeply he loved him, how deeply he loved him. And the understanding of this moment. So like that, those lines to me kind of signify, I'm looking at you, you're looking, you know, that kind of queer check out. And like, maybe they held hands at the end. You know, like that's what I envisioned this happening. Hands got close and their pinkies touched. No, but I'm just imagining like they're holding hands as the sun is setting. On a cliff. On a cliff. Yeah. It was in my head. Yeah. On a cliff. (laughs) And you're reading it as. And that would lead them to much of the happiness and adventure that came next. And the sun is still setting. And then the music fades out. That is what I envisioned this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe I am correct. And we will get to that at the end. But I want to point out <laughs> that the point of view here. Was confusing. Was confusing. But I think it was confusing for us because we were trying to multitask, Miranda. We were doing an audiobook on a vacation. On a vacation. And I speed the audiobook up because I get impatient. I speed the audiobook <laughs> up too. I'm like, you're not talking fast enough. I know, but it... <laughs> they got to talk fast enough to keep up with the way I would read it in my head if I were yeah. reading the text. That's I, how I feel. Hot take. I have read really great books sped up and it doesn't really work right just because of how it was recorded or how the, like the natural Are you talking cadence. about the Brandy Carlisle book that no, we listened to audiobook a, a and it was like one, you need to slow it down on my own and her music ca- is beautiful the cadence wasn't working so <laughs> I then went and I read it faster by myself because like I devour stories even though they are precious gold yeah like I just you know people sit and they binge a tv show and then they never remember it but like I'll see a book in a bookstore or on Amazon or in someone's hand at the airport like oh my god I love that and then it's a whole like it's an ex- it's an immersive experience versus just like seeing it on TV. Like you're accosting the stranger to tell them you love their book. Is this like the time we were in Canada and we told people, "Oh my gosh, we love your pug. We're from America. We want to touch your pug." Well, I was because that could have gotten weird. Withdrawal. It was my birthday. <laughs> I missed my pugs, and we're part of. Oh, I, I think are you part of the group? Yeah, uh, you you put me in the group. Part of a one of a pug group that's international, but a lot of people from the states post, and I was like, "Oh, I should post on there." Is anybody in you know Toronto? I'm going through pug withdrawal. It's my birthday and I don't fly home till tomorrow. <laughs> she didn't do that. I didn't folks. do that. But after I was like, is this rational or not? But if you're a pug person, you get it. Not all pug people do. They were cool Remember about that it? one guy? They were, yeah, okay. Not all people are cool about it. But like in general, <laughs> you get the excitement. So I walked up to them and I said, I said, excuse me. Hello. We're from, we're from the States. Um, I think they were too. They were from the they States were like too. From I think they were visiting family, I think. They were there for a long time. And they were pushing their little old gal in a... Um, pug, not a person. No, yeah. Pug in a um, stroller. And I said, would it be okay if I pet your pug? We have three at home and I'm just really missing them. And the wife was kind of like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I didn't mention we were parents of human children. So... Um, I didn't, yeah. So they didn't ask that. They just probably figured we only had pets. If you miss a dog so much, you need a pet a stranger's dog. So, all right, let's try to stay on task. Well, it would have been weird, to be fair, if we saw a child and said, can we pet your child? We miss ours. Yeah, that, that would be, be That'd be weird. Alarming. That would be alarming. Okay, so <laughs> point of view, you got the st- story narrator. Uh-huh. Um, 
and they're they're reading the book in class. And that's and Gideon. That's Gideon. And then they're later not. And then later we, and have, then, we have a different narrator. I'm trying to think. So in the book we have Rick, Mason, and Oliver, and I forget Oliver's last name. But we have Rick and Oliver, and then like McAllister the villain. Um, the other narrator that we end up with is Roberto Garcia, right? And Gideon. And Gideon. Oh, wait. Yeah, that's that right. That was told in third person. Sorry. That one was... Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So then, was it Tucker? Yeah. Tucker is told in first person. Tucker is told in first person. And then... And then we have... Yeah, the third person narrator, which is the story. Right. Which with, I feel like was included... With Rick and Oliver. Yeah. To, to mention... That what the book includes is not a bunch of like gay coded language. You know, this is a this is a true adventure book, and I yeah. loved those those chapters. I was like, this is great. <laughs> I wanted to. I want to read, read the whole book. Grade. Yeah, yeah. I want to read the whole book. So that that point of view, we finally got clarified. Oh, um, and then Melody. Melody was part of the adventurers. Mm-hmm. Melody is part of the adventurers. Mm-hmm. But mom. Oh, what Donovan was the other narrator. Right? Donovan Tucker. Yeah. Donovan Tucker. That's right. Donovan Tucker. So Donovan, I, don't know, I just had Tucker. <laughs> his mom reads a few pages and then the of the last to see where it's going. Right. Um, that is not good. That is an offensive practice. I Sometimes was going to say his mother is a monster. Let's and just... what would have happened if she hadn't seen that line? Like if that line was in the middle? It would have been a non-issue. It would have been a non-issue. So like... You cannot point to just one line. And judge a book. Yeah, or just one section and say it's not appropriate. Like, that's why professional reviews exist. And These that's are why context is important. Mm-hmm. And opinions are not fact. Accurate. They're valid, but they're not fact. And mm-hmm. I think we get into a lot of, obviously, a lot of opinions about censorship and what is appropriate for students or not. And it's like, we're seeing this rise of modern texts be accepted into classrooms, which is fantastic. Um, because st- a lot of times the students, you know, the students enjoy relate it more. more they relate, relate more. It and the classic English canon is mainly Anglo-Saxon, which yes. means white. And some of it is problematic in certain parts. Yeah, some of it is still problematic. we've evolved. Mm-hmm. We've evolved. And the stories don't really ring true anymore. They've, they've, they're outdated in a technologically based world. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so mom says it'll turn kids gay. That is so untrue. I read so much strict content. I still turned out gay. Same. If I you could turn kids to... gay, you could turn gay straight. Like, I don't understand. Like, there's... No, don't get them excited about that. that no, we've just I mean... finally gotten rid of a lot of that conversion <laughs> therapy stuff. Don't no, get them. But I'm just saying, like, that's something that has been disproven for a long time. Yeah, I know. Exposure but... to that is not going to make them gay. Now, Agreed. it can help queer kids see themselves mm-hmm. which i think maybe which is, saves lives right well i think that's well i don't think they're afraid of saving lives i think they're afraid of showing queer kids what is possible for them because they don't want that for them they want mm-hmm. the one story you go to college you find a nice girl as a boy oh i was gonna say uh-huh <laughs> no i was Continue. thinking like for donovan they want them to have that one story of as a boy you grow up you graduate high school you go to college, graduate college, you find a girl, you marry her, you have 2.5 kids. That that 0.5 child, that's a mess. Well, because it's a baby. That's my point. 
Oh, I think we're having half of a baby. Yeah, yeah, that is not that. gonna go anywhere. Um, so yeah, so it's for fifth grade and for just the one line, that's interpreted and you know, kids all over the world still read the Great Gatsby. That's one classic that has kind of held on because you they tie it a lot to like dreaming and overcoming your um, position in life. But um, every time I taught that, without prompting them, people were like, is Nick gay? Does he love Gatsby? And there's proof both ways. Mm-hmm. You, could, you could interpret it either way. You can interpret it either way. I mean, if you know some of the history of Fitzgerald, you're like, he was definitely gay. But you don't, <laughs> you don't teach that. You let them come to their own conclusions because in Socratic seminars, they asked their own questions as long as they were relevant to the text. Mm-hmm. So they spent a long time analyzing it and pulling out text, and it's like, that's amazing, but I bet if they had gone home and told their parents, some of them would have been mad. Yeah. But that was a genuine question. Kids yeah. are curious. Yeah, and they should be. They should I be mean, curious. Curiosity is so incredibly powerful and so incredibly important because when you come to a problem or someone you don't understand with curiosity, what you're doing is you're discovering. You're not making assumptions. You're not making judgment, like passing judgment. You're coming to somebody being like, I want to, I genuinely, I want to know about this. I want to know about you. I want to understand. And then all that does for differences is allows each of us to learn. And I just, I get so frustrated with not only the movement of censoring and banning books that that have a, a queer nature, but also some of these texts that have taught us a lot about just other people in the world. Like there's been a huge jump in the number of school districts that are removing To Kill a Mockingbird from, you know, the curriculum. Which, which is, is unfortunate because the recent graphic novel adaptation is phenomenal. Oh, is and it? And kids love graphic novels. So like, stop that. Stop it. Stop and it. it's also available in Spanish and graphic novels in Spanish are very hard to come by. So stop banning it. Stop, stop it. it. Stop it now. Stop it. Put it back. Put it back. And order the graphic novels as a companion to it. Do so it in other words, what you're saying is stop banning books, get more of those books. In graphic novel form. In graphic novel form and in other languages so mm-hmm. more people can read those stories. Absolutely. But I just, I, and the, from what I've read, the reasoning behind that one in particular is like, what's well, making children uncomfortable? Uh, yeah, yeah. Racism should make people uncomfortable and they should go, wow, this is bad. Let's never go back to that. Let's not do that. Like, that's how we learn. Um, like, it uh, it wouldn't surprise me if, um, you know, actually not, it wouldn't surprise me. There's already, like, Holocaust-based books that are banned. So, mm-hmm. I mean... Sure, let's bring Nazis back and then ban books that help us learn about the Holocaust. This is a great combo. It's uh, it's tough. And I think, you know, uh, authors put a lot of care into how they write their books. And I brought up um, Rita Sepetis earlier, um, who wrote Shades of Grey. Um, it was turned into a movie. So sometimes you can also find the book under um, Ashes in the Snow, which yep. is... It's a, it's a good one. Yeah. Um, and I hadn't read her before, and I remember um, I went to a, uh, a conference luncheon. I, I paid for the, the luncheon. And I, just to hear a different author speak, and, and Ruta was there. And uh, 
she was saying like I wrote mine before Fifty Shades of Grey came out, so she made the joke. But, <laughs> um, and she talked about that was her family's story that she had. She does all this research and she'll go to the places and she'll talk to people, mm-hmm. and then she'll start you know drafting it and putting it together. But the you know she's a crossover author, so a lot of like adults like me read her books um, because they're so fascinating and there's so much research and. Um, you know, she's not trying to shock anyone. She's not. This trying is to... this is an accurate reflection mm-hmm. of what happened to her family. Yeah. That's the thing. Is Based on these... research and notes and interviews. Absolutely. So it's not a shock and awe. These are stories about real people that really happened. Mm-hmm. And when you ban stories like that, you're saying your view, your life, your experience doesn't matter. Only mine does. But you say only certain people. Only certain, certain people's experiences. But matter. let's be accurate. Which certain people's experiences matter? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, when you ban books, you ban voices. You do. At the end of the day, that is what you were doing, and every voice has a right to be heard for their audience. Mm-hmm. So stop it. Okay. So yeah, just go read books that you enjoy. That's how you solve this. Something that was not a surprise to me, but still angered me, was that some parents, you know, they're asked to return the books mm-hmm. so that they can analyze. And that's common practice. There's a complaint. They want to figure it out, return the books, and then they'll decide, you know, after the committee meets. Some parents don't return the children's books because they were t- they they don't feel like other parents should decide what their child should read. Agree. But they should still return the book. But how, okay, here's the deal. How else are you supposed to fight a broken system? Oh, sorry. No, I, I would was, be that parent. I was misunderstanding. I was thinking that they were going to keep the book so that other kids couldn't read them later. Much like people who steal copies oh, of no, I read books it. from libraries so they can't be checked out. Yeah, I read it as we're going to hold on to the book because right, our right. kids should get to read no, it. No, I agree. Like the, the girl in his class that he borrows the copy from. Yes, exactly. Because how else would he have ever gotten to read it? And mm-hmm. it was so impactful for him. Mm-hmm. Like it was closure for him. Yeah, you ban a book all the kids are going to want to read it. Cover to cover. Cover to cover. <laughs> yeah. Maybe multiple times. Wait, I don't get it. What was wrong? Start over. Chapter one. <laughs> I just think it's sleep over with all your best friends. And yeah. Just to, to just to look through the book and uh-huh. read it multiple times. I loved Mr. Howe's explanation of why the book should be defen- uh, defended. He said, every person is valid. Every person, despite how they identify deserves to have the story told by identifying something as a gay story. It's saying that gay people deserve to have stories less. And I, I really loved the way he called that out. Um, I thought that was really impactful. Uh, that was one of my favorite parts of the book too, because I know sometimes my like first response is frustration, but I say that around family, like, no, we're not doing that. Why are they doing it? But like, by the time you go and you fight it, you're calmer, mm-hmm. you're more relaxed. And you're like, let's talk about this rationally. We have but a I was plan. Really like outspoken. Cause again, we listened to this on a road trip. I was like, what's going on when his mom doesn't speak at the meeting. And I thought that was a really careful plot point because from the beginning, I just kind of viewed his mom as that kind of stalwart gay is fine as long as it doesn't touch my child, doesn't see it kind of parent. Which is not an ally. Let's be real. Not an ally. So 
you know, they get down to the heart of it. Like the book challenge wasn't about an anti-gay challenge, but about what when it was appropriate to teach kids about homosexuality. And then the fact that, you know, they have the classmate who comes out. Mm-hmm. I loved that. That was beautiful. Um, I cried. <laughs> the kids already know. And, the, and you know, Donovan talks about that. We already know what being gay is. We already know that it's two people who, you know are together of the same sex like we ask five-year-olds if they have a boyfriend or a girlfriend they yeah know what if we're, they see if their we're, parents if we're teaching heterosexuality then you cannot argue oh it's too soon to teach homosexuality like nobody's actively teaching homosexuality let's be real but people are actively teaching heterosexuality it's not even about sex like it it's is, not it's yeah, sexual it's, hold on it's about who you sit next to in class and you feel excited right. to be around. It's about who you hold hands with as you walk home. Mm-hmm. It's about who you want to dance with at the school dance. And it's also like for children, it's what relationships they see reflected back at them. Like if you go to the homecoming dance and all you see are men, or not men, I mean in high school your kids still, I mean, but all you see are boys and girls dancing together. You don't see girls and girls or boys and boys. Like... You see the homecoming parade. There's a homecoming king and queen. And and like everything is coded in a heterosexual way and packaged and forced down your throat. It's really hard to fight that compulsory heterosexuality to figure out who you are and to see that who you are is valid. And that's what I have a problem with is there are a group of people that heavily fight homosexuality anywhere it happens and yet cannot open their eyes enough to see that they're doing the exact thing they're fighting against turned up to a thousand with heterosexuality like if the goal is don't teach kids about sex which is a terrible goal because children should learn at age-appropriate times, age-appropriate levels, they should learn about the world and what things are, just like um, George M. Johnson said in their book. Like, if if you are old enough for something to happen to you, you should be old enough to read about it and to I mean, learn about have, it. we have, you know, September 11th moment of silence in school, and we talk about it on the day. Like, kids in elementary school learn what a terrorist is, mm-hmm. but we can't teach them what two women holding hands means. I know. I know. And we'll be right back. And we're back. I also want to point out, because I think um, the question then becomes, well, how can parents better dictate what their children read? And some checkout systems have suggested putting flags on certain content or a note in the file that a block would pop up if a kid tried to check out war books or if, uh, you know, for Holocaust books or if a child wanted to check out a queer book that they would then be banned. But here's the thing. Librarians aren't, aren't tied to the desk. We're teaching classes. We're in the library shelving books. We're doing other stuff. We're in meetings. We're planning programs. Um, we're working with community members. So, that sense of like that you're not always there. They could still just take the book out, mm-hmm. just sneak it out. So um, the system, or that, someone, you know, have a friend check it out for you. Yeah. So 
If they really want the book, they're going to get it. I don't know. Here's here's where here's where I think my opinion is slightly different than yours. And I think part of this is I'm not an educator. I think part of this is you've been a parent longer. Uh yeah, maybe, but I well, I believe every parent has the right to parent their kid as they see fit as long as it is legal. <laughs> Um, from the child's perspective, you know, I, I think about the kid who has that parent that won't let them read things that would like legitimately save their life. And I think there need to be options for that kid to be able to get the content they need, even if their parent parents in a way that is oppressive and unsafe for who they are. Because at the end of the day, the, the thing that I think a lot of parents miss is you can raise your child with your values. You can place rules upon them. You can say, this is what I want for you. This is what I envision for you, whatever. At the end of the day, that is a unique human with their own mind, their own thoughts and at a certain point in their life it doesn't matter what you've done or said they're gonna like what they like and do what they do and you don't get a choice or a say and I think it's important for the parents that feel that need to control what their kid gets at at a certain point like obviously none of us are like Let's show second graders snuff films. None of us want well, that. A, I don't understand your disagreement. Yeah, I'm just saying uh, kids need to be able to get some of this content. And I, I think that, well, yes, parents should have that, that ultimate say in like what's appropriate for their kid. I also think there need to be avenues for kids to get content they need, even if their parent like in the case of this book, so is actively saying no. Check out. They would have just had a friend check it out for. Exactly. Them. Their needs. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is we can't get right, to the point that they keep locking stuff down. One of the vendors that was going to do it, I was going to go to the webinar. I think in the spring, and they got so much feedback that they decided to go away with it, to do away with the option, because by letting parent opinions into the library, which is free choice reading, mm-hmm. professionally reviewed content curated by the librarian for the specific school demographics. You're basically saying, saying that person. That person isn't, the librarian is not a professional. You're mm-hmm. saying the professional reviewers aren't professionals. You're mm-hmm. saying the company who um, published the review and double, double checked it was not mm-hmm. a professional. You're saying the author is not a professional. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's very murky water. Yeah. And then, then what's next? Like, oh, your kid can't read the textbook. Your kid can't do that. Like, that it's problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, Slippery slope. A lot of kids will choose to leave books in teachers' classrooms, you know, because they either don't want to lose it or, or whatever. Maybe they don't want their parent knowing that they're reading that book. But I, I know so many parents that are like, I don't care what they read as long as they're reading something. Yeah. Well, it's like our, our son, he would do that. He'd leave books like at the school because one day he brought one home and the dog uh did a thing the dog chewed on it and that was 
uh, traumatic for him. And he, he chooses not to bring him home a lot of times. You know, it's interesting because I want to go back real quick where they talk about um, none of the parents will tell their kids why it's being challenged. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, that's because they're embarrassed because they're bigots. Yeah, and, uh, agreed. That, that is an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment. To it be should a be an embarrassment. And like, maybe that means you shouldn't be a bigot. Just saying. Maybe examine yourself. Yeah. Um, I do think, um, because this was something I wrote down, the relationships of the adventurers doesn't have any bearing on the adventures. And I think that was a really good takeaway is like, there's still two, two friends going on adventures. How does that change it? And Mr. Howe even says it doesn't matter if they're romantically in love or in mm-hmm. love as friends, either is completely acceptable in this classroom, which is great because I think that then lets Curtis know that he can come out later. And Mr. Howe is gay. Mm-hmm. And he mentions that that wasn't a part of choosing the book that he knew the author. And we, we see the author later on, but I want to commend Mr. Howe because I think a lot of queer teachers prevent bringing queer voices into the classroom because they're afraid, oh, because it's my agenda. It's like, it's not an agenda. You're trying to show every student that they're being seen. Yeah. Just like you're trying you to show queer a person from multiple backgrounds mm-hmm. and multiple countries and all kinds of stuff. I always got lucky because I mainly taught 10th grade English, which is usually world literature. So we did a, we did several books and, um, you know, I, I tried to pair that with short stories of a bunch of different cultures. So... Everybody would not, of course you can't cover every culture, but at some point, hopefully everyone of my students that I knew of with a specific background or mm-hmm. ethnic identity or heritage was met and had seen themselves. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean that they were a Chinese immigrant just because they had Chinese heritage, mm-hmm. but that was a story that, you know, was culturally relevant and, you know, historically tied thematically linked to another mm-hmm. story that we were doing. Um, but then a poet I showed was a modern Chinese poet. Mm-hmm. So again, that student wasn't necessarily a poet, but hopefully saw themselves in that moment. Yeah. So it's about kids seeing what's possible for them and knowing your students. It's all about mm-hmm. relationships. It's all about knowing your students. And when you put something in front of them, um, and you often say like, Hey guys, I planned this. I found this text for us and I thought we'd enjoy it. Like I've done that just for a certain class and picked out certain, you know, books that we were going to read as read alouds and they're like wow of all the stuff that Ms. Wall does she came out and you know found a book for us and was read it and vetted it and thought we would enjoy that book you know that's that's powerful mm-hmm. um and the dad suggests they read it in high school which again that whole like reclassification um, for an upper grade, which is funny because it's about 12-year-olds having adventures. Yeah. What high schoolers going to read that? No. None None of the high schoolers are going to read that. No. They're going to be like, this is a baby book. It's not. Mm-hmm. I would read it. Yeah. And but again, yeah. they're saying like, well, it's 12th grade or 12-year-old. Why don't they read it in middle school? Because kids read books about their age and above. Mm-hmm. So it is appropriate for, for fifth grade. I agree. I want, Again, I was so upset with our author... Um, because I wanted to read the whole other book. <laughs> well, maybe maybe he'll uh, he'll publish like, like a special publish edition. a special edition where you could go read the whole adventure. I mean, like I said, I loved both stories. Um, I also I want to get into um, some of um, Gideon's story here. Um, 
where I kind of thought at first it was a different class in Donovan's school, but then I was like, why are they reading here? It's probably like, that's classic, you know, like 90s. Yeah. So that was a clue to me. But if you are reading this and you didn't know that, I think you might have missed that it was a previous time. And like, they never talk about cell phones, like all this mm-hmm. stuff you kind of really had to Little piece, subtle clues. Subtle clues that it was a time before. Yeah. Um, and when he talks about wanting Roberto's friendship in a way he didn't want other friendships. And that kind of like spark of, you know, maybe that's a best friend. And like, I, I looked at like theme of like loving turtles and then like Roberto drew him a turtle. I know. It was, it was really precious. And I really, even though we were each confused for a little while during the book. <clears throat> well, I think it was the same narrator. I think that's I just, what messed us up. I loved at the end when you get this big, like the big lead up to we're going to have this big meeting and talk about the book and that you got to see the author was friends yeah. with Mr. Howe and, um, you know, showed up. I did love to, I wanted to say that sidebar. I love that Mr. Howe's partner was like building him a bookshelf. Yeah, I was like, was Oh hot. yeah, that's what I would do. I'd build you a bookshelf, <laughs> babe. Yeah, you would. I remember you saying that I had a positive one. Yeah, Cause you were talking over the book. Um, I love that Roberto's mom knows who they are to each other and that they don't spend all their time kissing, but they dance to Madonna and play Mario Kart. But that was really sweet. Love it. Um, and the chocolate Valentine's Day game where they, he holds the chocolate in his mouth and he makes, um, and Gideon, um, Gideon bites off the other half. <laughs> and like, is it a kiss if it's just a bite? Like it's that, that was cute. Um, it's cute. Um, so yeah, um. There were a lot of cute little moments. Well, I was wondering, you know, by the end, who is Gideon? Um, and again, I showed, you know, mentioned my theory about being a class at the same school. Or um, the author is known as G.R. Bright. Mm-hmm. And I also loved that he emailed him via AOL, which is another old, another hint. Another hint. <laughs> um. Um, no, and then the, when they said we could get you an AOL account when Roberto is moving, mm-hmm. so they're, they're separated, so that was really heartbreaking. Um, and um, when at the end, when they're saying goodbye, he gives Roberto a silver turtle and he says, Great, rare, bright on the turtle. Mm-hmm. And so, G.R. Bright. So, I believe that um, Mr. Howe might have been Roberto. Oh, okay. If they, Or maybe not. Maybe they were just friends. But I definitely believe that the author was, was Gideon. Yeah. Um, because he talks about, he specifically, there's a line and it said, um, you need to go write our stories. And Roberto says, I will. So, oh wait, so that would mean Roberto was the author. Because he says, I will. He'll, he'll write their story. So Roberto's the author. And Gideon might be Mr. Howe. Perhaps. Anyway, I got that mixed up. But we had a lot of character names oh, and, and boy. pairings here. But I thought, I was like, I hope that's right. And like, I went and researched it after he read it. Because it came out, I think, in June. Um, and so we wanted to wait a little bit to see if you guys could get it from the library. But 
I mean, this was on my list. I was so excited when I read that David Levinson was writing a book about censorship and it was queer content. And I was like, yes, Rainbow Turtles on the cover. And then also like answers in the pages, you know, the literal, you know, should you ban this because of this line, this answer in the Mm -hmm. page, or also who's the author answers Mm -hmm. in the pages. I just Mm -hmm. loved that little bit at the end. So if you missed that, tied it together, um, go back and give a couple the last section of Gideon's a read because it is, it is important. I did like two. I just have so many notes. Like this book was phenomenal. And it was short. It was very short. I was disappointed how short it was, but again, I believe the story is only as long as it needs to be, but um, would have would have wanted about five more chapters. Well, you just wanted a whole separate book that was the adventure series, babe. I know I'm a David Levinson fan, so it's a uh, it's a problem when a book of his ends. I'm like, no, no, what do I do now? <laughs> Reread it, apparently. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, well, what I was gonna say is I did appreciate that when they were talking about Melanie, Melody in the adventure series. That she wasn't an adventurer. She wanted to be like the headquarters person. Yeah. Like that was her choice. Because like in in books and media. You have to see the at girl that left time. Behind. The girl is always left behind and they're like, You can't come, you're a girl. Like that's a reason. Oh yeah. no, my uterus has stopped me from leaving the house. Well what if she didn't have any tampons in her knapsack? Oh, she'd die. I don't, I don't, no, no, none of that's accurate. But I did like that it was her choice. She just specifically, she was very good at what she did. She wanted to do that. And that was her choice. Um, I, I, I did like that the author, while keeping in line with kind of the media that we would have read then, as far as the two boys went out and adventured, I like that the girl was given you know, the autonomy to just be like, this is what I like to do. This is what I'm good at. I'm going to stay here. Um, I, I appreciated that because female characters in that time period didn't get autonomy. Yeah. And I think a lot of times teachers choose books with a male protagonist because at least the boys will read it and the girls will just read it because girls tend to be better students and they just do what they're supposed to. Um, but having, you know... Uh, a, another main character that's a, a girl or um, an auxiliary character that's a strong female as well can definitely help, especially in, in, in the grades leading up to middle school and trying to figure out who are you in your friend group? Who are yeah. you in this world? Well, and that kind of brings up another point too. And I, I, I completely understand why this isn't brought up in every single book because not every author feels like they could do it justice Slash also, not every author is aware or cares enough to. But, you know, it made me think about, like, we we talk about, like, boys, girls, boys, girls, like, all the time. Especially as we look back at older, not older, but the younger age groups and and books and stuff like that. But, like, I try to think about what a a non-binary person, like, growing up, like, all you get is boys, girls, boys, girls. And there's not a lot of thought around that there is something else and there is middle ground. And That's a whole other battle, but separate. one that needs to be fought. I agree. And I would, I would be really, really interested to hear from any of our listeners that are non-binary or are aware of any like middle grade books or, or things that were influential 
for non-binary youth. In even elementary. Of, We've ex- tried mm-hmm. to explain that to our son, and I think even an elementary school book would be good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, like, kids get it if you bring it up and talk to them. It's about framing. Like, some of these parents, like, they wouldn't understand. It's like, have you tried to talk to your child? Because it's pretty they easy. They know more than you give them credit for. They, you know, they have phones. Mm-hmm. Even on Safe Search, you can still find out a lot of information. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, that was a, it's a good wrap up to, to September. Absolutely. So, definitely. And check out any of his other books. Um, our next read. So for, we got a review. Oh, I always forget. I don't put it in my notes. Ooh. Well, I give it five glittering rainbows. I'm going to, I'm going to have to agree. Well, okay. I want to give it five glittering rainbows. I was confused. It's just I think my that life was story. Because we were driving. Because we were driving, it was an audiobook. Yeah. But it was nice to listen to it together. We tried really hard not to discuss as we were driving. You tried really hard. I kept getting distracted and saying things. Oh, yeah. So well, then I wrote fault. it down in your notes, and I was like, okay, back to my notes. So, <laughs> yeah. But I disregarded it. And we waited a bit to record so that we would forget what each other had, you know, because then I was driving and you took some of my notes down. Mm, yeah. We had a lot of but, um, back and forth notes. Just a very timely book. And. Especially amid all the challenges and bannings and just the ferocity with which people are going after queer titles and content. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's time to take a stand, to stand up, go you know, find out what, what your local school board is doing, what's going on at your school. Call your, your school librarian, talk to them. Mm-hmm. See what you can do. See Maybe the get next- them a cup of coffee. They need it. <laughs> <laughs> see where um see where the next school board meeting is. See if you can talk. I mean they want to hear from parents on, on both sides of this. Mm-hmm. So They could probably also benefit from volunteers. Yeah. And then you have plenty of time while you're volunteering to talk to them about potentially banned books that might yeah. be coming up for review. Exactly. All right. So leading into October, um, we have just this trifecta of a book for you. And I'm so excited. This is a reread for me. This was on my list for a very long time and I couldn't get a copy of it because it was always checked out at my library and um, at my public library. And I thought, wow, that's a pretty popular book. Um, it is called Cemetery Boys by Aiden Thomas. This mm. is a trans, gay, Halloween, Dia de los Muertos book with spirits and ghosts and a little bit of love story in there. And um, it's it's fantastic. Um Doing my research, if you listen to the audiobook, there is a special um, interview with our author um, at the end. So um, Sweet. if you if you want to just read it, read it, but then maybe check out the audiobook just for that um, interview. It's pretty, pretty great. So yeah. Well, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it is. It, I'm so, uh, I love it. Okay. Can't um, wait. Already a fangirl. Can't help it. This is fangirl day. All right. So until then. We're all queer here. Absolutely.